The appropriately named Nell Minnow of Common Sense Media calls this high-tech remake dumb and overblown. But Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune rebuts by noting that the movie makers succeed in something very difficult, creating a haunted house with real personality and terror. And the Philadelphia Inquirer's Desmond Ryan falls somewhere in the middle by calling this film a passable piece of summer hokum, but it underlines how difficult it has become to make an effective horror movie. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, the next installment of January, celebrating the films of cinematographer and director Jan de Bon, we decide the fate of The Haunting. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Spooky. That was, I, I don't know. <laughs> that went from being spooky to being like Dr. Smith on the old Lost in Space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. Uh, welcome to Ruined Childhoods. My name is John. That guy's name is Dan. That it is. Yeah, and this is a podcast where we talk about cult and classic movies and what we would do given the chance to bring them back these days and say, hey, how do you do? What what do we got to do to you? Cult, classics, classics, has-beens, never-wers, could-have-beens. Could-have-beens. We talk about them all. Yeah, I feel like The Haunting is one that doesn't really fall too much into the either of those real categories, but it's definitely, I feel like, a uh, it's so bad, it's funny kind of a thing. And so I feel, feel like it has some redeeming qualities in that department. Well, I think it just kind of like was made at the wrong time. You know, and we'll, we'll get into it, but I mean, yes, and uh, yeah. Improv. It, it's also... <laughs> But yes, it, um, it, we'll get into it a, a little bit more. But I would definitely uh, say some some missed opportunities here. Uh, but and also, yeah. I was I guess the question is: Is the haunting so bad it's good to the level where it's worth watching the whole thing for the entertainment value? And we'll we'll get into that. We don't need to talk about that right now. But just to right. let you know. Just let you know, discussion topic yeah. to come. Okay. Is this yeah. does this movie have enough awful to be awfully fun? And and I have gone on record in the past stating that there is no such thing as a bad movie because people earned paychecks working on this. Uh, you know, lots of like look at the credits on the end of any movie. You'll see a lot of people who worked really hard and for that, it was worth being made. And it's hard to get a movie made in general, unless you're Jan DeBont, in which case you make The Haunting. But first, we've got some little news bits in the world of uh, remakes, reboots, prequels, and sequels. Uh, it seems like there's going to be a Soap Dish series coming to Paramount. Uh, and this is from Slash Film a few days ago, and uh, I'm just going to read one paragraph from it. After a failed remake attempt in 2011, the project is now part of the NAACP's production partnership with CBS Studios. 
formally launched with the hire of Sheila Duxworth, uh, Duxworth as president. Um, and, and that's a partnership that is meant to bring more equity to, uh, you know, casts and crews. And I think that that's really cool. Um, yeah. So they're starting this, uh, you know, this whole like bond between the two organizations kind of began with like a mutual love of the show or the movie Soap Dish. Which is like, yeah, of course, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, this article also definitely calls out the fact that it is a perfect movie with the exception of the transphobia at the end, um, which we certainly cover on our on our Soap Dish episode. But uh, yeah, it's they're saying that a dynasty meets succession family saga following a fifth generation black New York City female construction magnate. So I don't know exactly how this is going to shape up but i am curious so so soap dish like not yeah. not not a not a reboot of soap the tv series but soap dish nope. the movie and it's about i'm telling you oh okay all right yeah so we will see what that's about um this one is uh kind of going back a couple episodes you know we talked a lot about uh sharon stone on our basic instinct episode and it kind of, you know, we, we got into talking about how her career really was, you know, blown up because of uh, Basic Instinct. And she's kind of had little moments here or there, but nothing so significant with few exceptions. Few exceptions. But it looks like she's uh, signed on to become a, uh, a recurring role on season two of The Flight Attendant on HBO which I think is excellent. I don't know if, Dan, you watched the first season of The Flight Attendant, but it is fantastic. It was really good. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. But, um, you know, that's kind of something I like about a lot of these shows uh, is that they are giving these, they're providing a lot of opportunities to actors who, like Sharon Stone, who had, a you know, a really flourishing career and that has slowed down i noticed um showtime has a new uh i think it's an anthology series and the first Mm. part of it uh is about the the ceo of uber with joseph gordon levitt right and i noticed Mm -hmm. uma thurman in in the trailer for it and very happy to see uma thurman yeah uh, for sure back on screen so i I mean we know how much you love my super ex-girlfriend so, I mean, you know, there's movies and then there are experiences that go beyond <laughs> the screen. And I would have to say for me, the big thing, the big two, the big three, sorry, are um, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life and Ivan Reitman's My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. I, I picked two. I, I was like, okay, so, so. I thought the Tree of Life was an interesting uh, oh, addition to that because one. It's, it's, I think it's the only movie that I've ever gone to see where like so, like a manager at the theater, like someone has actually like given a speech before the movie started. And it was cool because I saw it at the- What did they say? Oh, they were just, it was like the, the theater was packed. I think it was like the opening night. Uh, it was in, it was in New York. It was at the theater down- um, on the lower east side uh like an art house 
uh, but like a you know a nicer one. And uh, yeah, no, they actually like they gave kind of just like a hey, we're really excited to have Terrence Malick's the the Tree of Life, and you know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a just just a warning. Like there was, yeah, it wasn't like, it, just just it wasn't yeah, a trigger just warning. Hang in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like just hang in there. Yeah. What's funny it. is, what's funny is I remember the circumstances under which I saw the Tree of Life. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, listeners of this podcast will know that Dan has the recall of um, I don't know what's the opposite of a goldfish, something that has really good recall. An, what, and an elephant, I don't. Know. An elephant, sure. I don't know. Is that proven? Animals? Is that a proven an thing, or is that just forgets. lore? It's a. Yeah, yeah. It's an adage. I know it's an adage, but like, is that an actual thing or is that just lore? You know, uh, next time I uh, am chatting with the local elephants, I okay. will double check with them and ask. I've right. always assumed it; it's never come up in conversation, but okay. I will I will bring this up. I don't think, I hope it's not a sore subject for them. Okay, fair you enough. Know. All right. So yeah, but I am not one to typically remember the circumstances under which I saw most movies but there are some that stick out and i would say that it's odd that the tree of life sticks out for me because that was what like 2010 maybe 2011 i think 2011 and i so we're talking over 10 years ago and i saw it in pasadena at one of the lemley theaters and um i believe i went with my friend tom from myspace tom's Tom, You're my space yeah. friend. He's kind of like looking over his shoulder at the entire time. Yeah. See, he sat in the road in front of what me. What do you think? I, what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> what the, what's with the dinosaurs? Uh, no, my friend, my buddy Tom Sigsby, who owns uh, a bar in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles called The Fable. So if you are a Los Angeles resident, go to uh, get a drink at The Fable and uh, see if Tom's there and be like, hey, what'd you think of the movie The Tree of Life? And have a conversation. Yeah. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll shout out that I wanted to double check and see if the theater where I saw it was actually still open. And uh, that is uh, formerly the landmark Sunshine Cinema uh, on uh, East Houston landmark Street. Landmark Sunshine. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Um, Gonna see so... the tree of life. <laughs> Next up Gonna in the see news. it with my future wife. Which I did. Next I thing in the news, yeah. we've got... Uh, uh, also from Slash Film, Hulu comedy series Reboot is officially happening and Judy Greer has joined the cast. So Greer will join Keegan-Michael Key and Johnny Knoxville in the comedy series, which follows, it says, no joke, the cast of an early 2000s sitcom that is forced to reunite when Hulu orders a reboot of the show. <laughs> so uh, it is kind of like in the spirit of like Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Right. You know, but it also, it, a, it sounds a little bit uh, like, like one of our soap dish. Uh, re- oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ideas. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the next thing I have is uh, from deadline. Uh, Eileen Jones tapped to pen Paramount's to catch a thief reboot starring Gal Gadot. So that one people might've heard more about cause she's certainly a high profile. star. And uh, To Catch a Thief is one that certainly a lot of people uh, might feel like their childhood may be ruined. Maybe some of the uh, the much older folks yeah. <laughs> who are around. I, you know, you know? while we're and, oh, sorry. children in 55. Well, and actually, you know what I noticed today? And this is we're not I was uh, thinking about it. 
I was very surprised that the Manchurian Candidate was remade. This is back in in the two thousands, uh, and it was Jonathan Demme directed with uh, Denzel Washington, like Leah Schreiber, Meryl yeah. Streep, and it was like that's one of those movies, kind of similar to to Catch a Thief, where it, it's like you know the original is still kind of known and loved, and it hasn't been. Yeah, well, I feel like the best, uh, often the best remakes that aren't just re adaptations of books or plays are the remakes of movies that, uh, you know, kind of have been swept aside and have been forgotten. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, you have a really good point. I think that uh, Manchurian Candidate, I think that they just saw it as an opportunity to modernize it uh, because it's... And, and honestly, it was essentially remade again with captain america the winter soldier right so yeah uh, you know so it's like one of those things that i don't know it's there's there's always new ways to tell that same story and kind of incorporate those same ideas i mean it's a uh, it's a great it, it's it's a great story but the you know it it's so hard to match that that the frankenheimer original from uh well 64. frankenheimer yeah. yeah i mean forget it, it <laughs> the um yeah, the the remake I I enjoyed it. It's fine. Yeah. 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 But any I don't know. Anyway, sorry. It was just like I I remember No, but you, yeah, it's a good point. I remember I I recalled its existence and questioned it. <laughs> um but yeah. Yeah. yeah there we go. So, Dan, we are in the middle. We're at, we're past the halfway point of January. How are you feeling? Is January yeah, I'm feeling a bit Janish, you know, not Janosh, uh, Janosh, but Janish. From Ghostbusters 2? No, yes, from Ghostbusters Do you know another <laughs> Janosh? I was just like, he referencing Ghostbusters 2? I, right. I, I don't, um, I, I, Peter I, well, because I, character. I said Janish and I, that was what I pictured. Anyway, John, I'm feel. you know what? It's, hey, it's mid-January, it's, it's 2022, or as I've been calling it, 2020 part three. And, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's crazy for those who who are listening for the first time. Um, I I am also a, a teacher and it's just been so challenging to keep up with absences and staff absences and people who are absent because they're quarantined because they had a contact versus people who are absent because they tested positive for COVID and people who are absent because they are they are choosing to and they're just like not comfortable being in school so yeah. and it was so and we got to a point where it was just like so and like you could tell like kids are nervous about it and they're you know teenagers have enough going on already on top of yeah. and this on top of everything else so as i as i think i told you uh this past week by the end of the week in school i just decided i was like screw it we're putting on a movie we're just putting yep. on a movie and i'm like you don't have to write anything down you have to do anything there's not gonna be a test we're not gonna have a not gonna analyze it like I was, I was like your your assignment is to like detach from reality and and we watched sister act yep mm -hmm. yes and like so such good movies too. And I mean, like I, I had one kid who walked in and, you know, most of the kids haven't seen it. There were like, you know, maybe two or three in each class that had seen it. And I had one kid who walked in and saw the menu screen of the DVD up on, on my computer and was like, are we seriously watching sister act? Like, are we <laughs> like, this was the best day ever for her. And 
just like that. There yes. is there is an episode of Queer Eye on Netflix, and Dan, I tried to find this clip to send to you when you told me uh, over text that you were showing your your kids uh, sister act, and I there's this one episode i want to say it's like maybe in the philadelphia season where uh jonathan van ness the the hair and you know beauty whatever i uh, queer uh figure on the show yeah. uh he uh, i'm sorry they right. uh are describing the whole plot of sister act and sister act 2 to this this girl who had never heard of it before as they're doing her hair and it's so good did we talk about that that during the sister act episode oh maybe we did maybe we did but the way that uh the way that they describe everything is like it's completely spot on and the but just like the speed with which they talk about it is just (laughs) mind-boggling and and just just glorious and and Jonathan Van Ness also had that uh web series Gay of Thrones um where they just recapped Game of Thrones while doing people's hair and <laughs> I would so I good. would definitely listen to that it's so good so uh anyway yes, yes, yes. it's January we are talking about the films of Jan de Bont uh cinematographer as you know at least in terms of basic instinct and then director of Twister, last week's episode, and this week's episode, The Haunting. And um, for anybody who hasn't been listening to the other episodes of January, what we're doing is we are dropping hints throughout the episode of what the next episode's movie is gonna be. So listen very closely. We haven't done it yet on this no, one. No, not yet, because, yeah, not yet. Forgot. Um, so, Dan... Yes. Had you seen The Haunting before? I had not seen The Haunt. I had seen like parts of it. I think just from like turning it on and say, oh, this is on. Let's see. Let's watch the five minutes of this. And uh uh-huh. so no, had never seen it before. And yep, this was the the first time. Had you seen it before? I had not seen it. I don't even I only remembered about it when we were talking about covering it. And then when I saw like the poster for it or something, I was just like, okay, yeah, I think so. I think that seems familiar. I mean, it was 99. So you have movies like The Matrix that are out. Um, you've got, was Blair Witch 99? Everything. In ni- 99, Summer 99, Phantom Menace, Love Phantom It or Menace, it, like, of course. like, you know, forget it. It was huge. It yeah, was huge. Huge, huge, humongous. Um, so you had that, you had Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me, which was huge. You had uh, Blair Witch, which kind of like picked up steam over that summer, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you had other, you had the, uh, Arlington Road, for some reason, is another movie that sticks out. I know it wasn't like the biggest blockbuster of, of mm-hmm. that year. Uh, Entrapment. Oh, I, yes. I think also, with, yes, with, um, with, with Sean Connery. Catherine Zeta-Jones. And, yep. And yeah. uh, and laser beams and yes, laser beams. I'm pretty. What's so funny? Sure, I, that was that. Dan, year. I want to I want to cover that uh, that movie on the podcast sometime because it is known for a single shot that's in the trailer. where Catherine Zeta Jones is slithering, uh, <laughs> you know, around these like sensor lasers. It's and it's it on the poster. A, it's on the, the poster. gimmick is on the poster. <laughs> 
yeah, it, it, we're talking Scream 5 style. The killer is on the poster. They have the lasers on the poster because <laughs> it was such a big selling point. That it was Catherine Zeta-Jones in like some skin tight leather like cat, yeah. like pseudo Catwoman outfit. It's yoga pants. Yoga. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So, Lululemon. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I've never seen that. So I would be. No more more than happy to I don't, maybe we could do well, maybe we could do like a theme month of movies that are only known because of like one shot oh i thought you were gonna say maybe next next uh um next next january we would do seanuary Sean movies Way. with with sean connery we can't do sean penn and we've already done the game so you know uh I know. Yeah, I don't know how we would start the. Uh, well, but also, if we're doing the first episode of January, it has to be a Michael Douglas thriller. Like a Michael Douglas thriller. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, if we're going with our our annual uh, routine. Yeah, no, I was about to. And uh, yeah, I was, I was like, wait a second, was Sean Young in Fatal Attraction? No. <laughs> no. No. So, um, anyway. Uh, so the we'll haunting it out. summer of 1999. I could keep going. South Park, bigger, longer, uncut is summer 99. Right. Uh, like this is just off the top of my head. But if I go onto, uh, oh, is that a uh, is that a haunting reference to <laughs> Owen Wilson's character? Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm not that clever. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that I thought of that. Ladies and gentlemen, he gets decapitated. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets de- decapitated uh, in a we're hilarious way. None the worse off for it. Uh, but <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, the point of the story is the haunting comes out, but it was one of like the most hyped movies because it was like a dream. It was DreamWorks and like um, right. And it was originally. I mean, this it started as a collaboration between Spielberg and Stephen King who were looking yeah. so actually well actually it started as a uh a, a short novel by uh, Shirley Jackson of the lottery fame and mm, yeah. uh you know if you read anything in high school you you read that and uh it, the haunt and then there was so it was the haunting of hill house and then yeah. There is also so there's the haunting in 1963 with Robert uh, Robert Wise directed, right? But it, the plots aren't that one's about like a family whose house is haunted or well, I think that's like the that. original. I, I think that's the original story because there's also it, the haunting of Hill House Netflix series, right? Which is about which is also different from it's about a it, it's about a group of siblings uh you yeah. know kind of uh yeah dealing with the i think that that one is more closely tied to the 60s film and and i think the novel as well mm. yeah yeah this the 99 haunting definitely seemed to take a lot of liberties with the whole hill house situation and uh i don't know it's it it's its own thing, and I I think that there's some things about it that I like, some things I don't. But why don't I do a little synopsis so that yeah. everyone else can be yeah. following along? Yeah. Okay. Yonder Bonds, the haunting. <laughs> Under the guise of a sleep study, Doctor David Morrow is luring sleep-challenged individuals to a notoriously creepy mansion to study the psychological response to fear. Among the group that signs on is sexy bisexual temptress Theo. Sporty bro Luke, 
and our protagonist, Nell. Of the three, Nell is the only one who was contacted directly to participate in the study. Having been emotionally abused for years by her ailing mother, Nell has recently been displaced by her siblings after their now-deceased mother failed to award her apartment where she lived her entire life. As the group arrives at the house, along with Dr. Morrow and his research assistants, things slowly begin to go awry, especially with Nell. That's when the stories come out about the house's original owner, Hugh Crane, who wanted to fill the house with children, but had no successful pregnancies with his wife Renee. With the assistance of spooky apparitions, Nell is led to previously undiscovered areas of the house, including Crane's secret office, which contained proof of child labor in his textile factories, often resulting in fatalities. Among her findings, Nell also discovers that Crane had a second wife, Carolyn, and in time, it becomes clear that it becomes clear to Nell that she is a descendant of Carolyn's and that she was brought there for a reason, to help free the deceased children's souls out of purgatory to ascend to heaven, but in order to do so, she must send Crane's limbo-residing soul down to hell. Did I get that right? I think so. <laughs> so um, as much as it matters, yes. Yeah. So uh, Lily Taylor is Nell, and she's great. I think that she's fantastic always. Um, teaming up with her uh, high fidelity co-star Catherine Zeta-Jones, the two of whom uh, both dated uh, Rob, the <laughs> the owner of the the record store. No, uh, so Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Theo. Uh, Liam Neeson is David Morrow. Owen Wilson is Luke Sanderson. Luke Sanderson. Wow. Um, Playing a character named Luke. I've got a brother named Luke. This is crazy. (laughs) Uh, Todd Field is, uh, plays Todd. Uh, Virginia Madsen's in it for a scene. I was like, oh, Virginia Madsen's in this. Yeah. We never see her again. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, and then, uh, so the, the house's caretakers are Mr. And Mrs. Dudley played by Bruce Dern and Marion Seldes. Uh, Bruce Dern is fantastic. I feel like it's essentially his character from like the Burbs. It's his uh, character from like seventy five percent of the movies he has done since nineteen eighty. Yeah, there's kind of like yeah, from like nineteen eighty to two thousand. Let's say that was that character. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a really. It's a really solid cast. It's a great, like, 1999 cast. And, uh, you know, I, I love seeing Lily Taylor in, like, kind of the the lead role. And, uh, I mean, it kind of, it works so well with the story for this to be a female-driven, uh, you know, plot. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, also, you have to imagine that the actors were probably very comfortable because they're wearing pajamas most of the time so that's kind of cool um the great pajama work on this movie yeah i mean excellent pajama maybe there's another theme for us movies that are where the characters are just mostly in their pajamas the the whole time back to the beach there we go a pajama party (laughs) yes oh we did that one already yes we did okay so yeah all right here's Here's my thoughts. Uh, first of all, there is, I I feel there is terrible dialogue. Dialogue so terrible that at in at moments it it goes into that oh this is actually entertaining 
territory. <laughs> right, uh, okay. And the acting in this, it really, so it feels like, I'm watching this movie and I feel like Jan de Bont was not a good fit for this. Jan no. de Bont was not a good fit for it. And the effects are just, I don't want to say silly, but... 99 was the wrong time for this. You know, right. yeah, at least with something like Twister a few years earlier and also with Speed, you do a lot more with practical effects. And uh, yeah, the, the computer generated effects weren't there yet with this. Okay, but so I want to point to another Haunted House movie that comes out two years after this that, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but Spectacular, The Others. I re- okay. I really had have a great memory of of really feeling like the others did so much with uh with editing, cinematography, and movement. I'll also the same summer uh summer 99, The Sixth Sense, which not right. a haunted house yeah. movie but still doesn't doesn't use really special effects, uses uh you know, music yeah. and camera but also acting. Right. Yeah, this movie, though, is a, you know, it's a supernatural sensationalist movie where there it, there are, like, battles with ghosts. And uh, I don't know. I, th- I just think that it was made at the wrong time. You know, 99 just wasn't the right time for something like this. Or they could have tried to do more with practical effects, but, like, I feel like that was not what was in vogue in the moment. And... Uh, you know, it was kind of just like, a, oh, now look like now look at we what we can do. It, and, it wasn't in vogue in the moment, but again, if you look at other supernatural thrillers of the time, uh, Sixth Sense, Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Well, right. I meant I meant in general. You know, thinking more about things like the Phantom Menace, right? Where it's like not so much for horror. But just for movies in general. Right. Is that, you know, there's this desire to really dip into computer graphics. And of course, DeBont saw that coming with and with Twister. And Twister. But yeah. I also have to say, I felt that especially after watching Twister and also thinking about Speed, two movies that are not really contained that uh-huh. it's like, and I was also, I also thought about Basic Instinct and I thought about Die Hard and films that DeBont had, had shot as DP and just thought like, wow, it's like DeBont's Hamrush. Wow. Yeah. He yeah. made all those movies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm st- now it's the kid in Last Action Hero. I'm in the movie. Uh, yeah. uh, but I, I felt like, like his camera can't be contained. And that, like, he's trying to, like, do all the Yondabont movements, but this movie needs to be more, like, It still, takes place inside of walls. Slow, yeah. yeah. It, I feel like it doesn't work well for him, and I also feel like, like, in terms of the actors, it's it's kind of like, I think of the performances in Twister and Speed, and I think of the people giving those performances, and I'm like, oh, you know, they probably didn't really need much acting direction Mm -hmm. in terms of what they were supposed to do whereas this movie i think relies a little bit more on that i think it needs the performances and i felt like lily taylor 
as I mean, she's you know an incredible actress. Um, uh, what's it called? I shot Andy Warhol. Uh, right. You know, one of the best independent films of the of the nineties, and I I just think that she was so out of her element in a in a film like this that she it wasn't like oh well Lily Taylor shouldn't have been in this movie because it's a big budget thriller. Uh-huh. I think she needed someone who I think she needed to be kind of directed, you know, in that, in that setting, in that context. Sure. You also have Owen Will. I mean, it's like, this is also that, this is also the time of like blockbuster movies trying to appeal to independent audiences by cast. It's like Armageddon with Steve Buscemi and Owen Wilson. (laughs) Owen Wilson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Owen Wilson was, you know, with Bottle Rocket, you know, he was an indie guy. Right and yeah. uh, does he, oh Luke no he pops was up just in Rushmore right what's that I was like I almost Luke said Rushmore, Rushmore yeah. yeah it's Luke yeah and Rushmore was two thousand ninety eight ninety eight okay same year as Armageddon Man, way off yeah uh yeah no I mean Owen Wilson hadn't yet really blown up as an actor I mean he was at this exact state like you know where it's like fourth build maybe and. Uh, that's where that's where he kind of sat comfortably. Um, and then, you know, Royal Tenenbaums and I don't know. Meet, just kind meet of the parents. Like, well, meet the parents. Still, uh, yeah. I, I mean, all the Ben Stiller, you know, wedding crashers and all that kind of stuff. So those really launched him. And uh, yeah. Uh, oh, um, Luke Wilson from uh, my super ex-girlfriend. Right. Oh. <laughs> Luke Wilson from my super ex-girlfriend. A- exactly. <laughs> Um, oh God, I'm trying. I've actually never seen that movie. Who's that girl who's in it? Uh, uh the one who plays the lead. Is that Uma Thurman? Holy shit. It is Uma Thurman, isn't it? That's why, that's why I brought it up before. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Got it. With the whole, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I thought you were just pulling a random movie out. And, okay. No, 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 no. Got it. No. Got it. Right. So anyway, uh, going back to this movie, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think that no one really cares to watch this these days because it it is kind of hard to watch. Um, it's a little cringy at times. And I don't think that Lily Taylor really, I don't know, makes you want to like follow along on her journey so much. No, not really. I mean, like you feel sympathy for her, but also like what her sister and her, her sister's like douchey husband, yeah, uh, like just kick her out of the, it. It doesn't. It just didn't make sense. The whole no. It kind of started off not making sense. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. No. It just kind of launched into this whole thing where like <laughs> their mother had just died and. Did not leave Lily Taylor's character the apartment where she lived in the will and is getting kicked out by her shitty sister. Or is her brother, I don't know. Either way. It's her, her brother. Siblings. Her brother in well, her brother in law is not is not helping. I couldn't remember if she was if it Virginia Madsen was her sister or sister. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Anyway, so uh yeah, I don't know. Like I didn't really care so much about her quest to like make this all happen for the souls of these children. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was it was kind of it, it was kind of like convoluted. Um, the highlights, by the way, are when when Liam Neeson, like about uh, maybe about an hour into the movie, or maybe a little bit before an hour into the movie, when when Liam Neeson starts like realizing that things are going wrong his acting he turns like he turns it up sometimes he can he turns it up and he does things like this and he talks like that yeah and uh and it's like man that's when you want i'm just like i want everything at this level the whole time for this movie to be fun what's also perplexing about liam neeson's character is like he's doing this research study but like he's hardly doing any typical research study things like conducting interviews about stuff or like, I, I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> it's definitely, even if it was a, an insomnia research study situation, but that it isn't, but like, if that's what the, the guys was, then I feel like there should be more structure to it. And also it's like, why have them do it in this enormous mansion? <laughs> no one asked that question. <laughs> what, uh, yeah, I guess that didn't come up. Uh, like, I know in some verse. So there's also there's the house on Haunted Hill. Right. Uh, or the haunting I, I of there's also- haunting of Hill House, I think. Or well, oh no, House yeah. of Haunted Hill, which also came out in 99. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is uh, it's this and and this one I watched. So I watched part of the 99 version and it would, it's got Jeffrey Rush, Famke Johnson, uh, Tay Diggs, uh, Chris Kattan is in it. It's like, it's, huh. it's actually like, it's more fun. Uh, and gotcha. I mean, it's ridiculous, but, and there was an original with Vincent Price of this. And it's, oh, of, of that one. It's okay. really, it's like, it's this wealthy guy, uh, Jeffrey Rush, it, it, his character is like a theme park developer. Who's he's, okay. he's developing the his name is Stephen Price. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh boy. And it's like he and his he and his wife just kind of like they they hate each other and they're just constantly like snapping at each other. And she wants to have a this like birthday party. Uh so he rents out like this haunted house and he just invites these these random people who have like you know they've got things to hide and it's like if you if you make it the night you get like a million dollars okay yeah so it's like you have to you have to stay the night and uh it, it was it i didn't watch the whole thing but it was amusing uh amusingly entertaining well, what I found interesting, at least about the haunting, is that there, there was a reason why Nell was, you know, essentially summoned there. Right. You know, the the ghosts had essentially forged Liam Neeson's voice, I guess, and and called her to draw her attention to the research study, which was like, okay, that's an interesting detail, and. She was brought there to save the souls of these children and, uh, you know, let them free from purgatory. And I feel like that's a really interesting concept. And I don't necessarily think that it was very well executed, but I like the idea of like a horror movie 
where there is a battle between the ghosts that, you know, we're, we're not really fi- figuring out or following like until the end. Cause it's like, there's some of these apparitions that are guiding her and helping her, but then there are some that are clearly trying to like mess with her. Oh, I mean, what? Like the, her ceiling tries to eat her. It's pretty wild. As her bed traps her. It is. Yeah, (laughs) I was this part. I I actually picked up my phone and started recording on my phone (laughs) because it was so ridiculous. Uh, um, This she's her scream is is awful. Lily Taylor was not made to do a horror movie scream. Uh, (laughs) No, no. But I feel like she does have a good scared look. You don't think so? Sure. Sure, I don't know. But she's also like, she doesn't, she's not like so terrified. She's terrified until she kind of like, kind of gets a sense of what's going on. She starts piecing things together and then it's more of like a, you know, a a bewilderment or just a sense of wonder. Yeah, yeah, the whole, I feel like her whole thing the whole time is, is there's something going on, don't you believe me? Don't you believe me? Yeah. Don't you believe me? Yeah. That statue just vomited blood. Don't you believe me? Don't you believe me? Like, I know. I know what I saw. I know what I saw. Don't you believe me? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it, it's her. I don't think it's it's her fault. I feel I, I just kind of get the sense that like this movie would have been better off directed by someone who uh, maybe di- like directing horror movies was more their thing. <laughs> right. And. I mean, I just want to I just want to mention one more thing. Uh, and you had mentioned that the writing of this is kind of to blame for what's you know, what its faults were. And I have to agree, especially when it comes to the scene where it's towards the beginning of when they're all there. And then there's all of these noises coming from uh, the rooms of Nell and Theo and they don't know what it was. And then when they finally get to see David, uh Dr. Morrow, he mentioned something about like the pipes and like the water, like making the noise. And it's like, I thought that you were the one that wanted to conduct a study on fear. Why would you let them know, like try to convince them that it wasn't anything scary? I don't know. Like I, I almost wish that there would have been that a moment of him explaining why he would mislead them like that. You know, that kind of goes against his thesis or whatever. I don't even know what his thesis is. It's That's what the problem is. It's like, there's just, we're missing some things here. Yeah, it's really just there as a device. Yeah, but it's like, they don't follow through on the device at all. Like, the you forget about it until he's like, I'm calling off the study. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Calling it off. It, I'm calling it off. Yeah, so, I don't know. It, I enjoyed watching it and I have no regrets. <laughs> so that's kind of where I am with it. I mean, I don't, I have no regrets because I, I have no regrets because I feel like I knew what I was getting into and I, it's not like I, you know, paid money and made like, you know, all plans. It's not like I made plans to see this like I did Tree of Life on, on opening night. Oh yeah. yeah. No. There was no speech before it. <laughs> no. Or uh my super ex girlfriend, which I saw when I was living in Philadelphia 
I had a roommate who worked at American Eagle and they had this thing where they would give you movie passes if you bought like pairs of jeans, but he just had a stack of these passes and we would just like go to see movies all the time. And one of them was my super ex-girlfriend. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I forgot about it until the words just came out of my mouth. <laughs> That's spectacular. Spectacular. So my goal on this episode is to talk about my super ex-girlfriend and tree of life more than we talk about the haunting. And I feel like we're getting close. Yeah, we're about at 50-50 right now. I, <laughs> I think. Uh yeah. So 50, anyway. 25, 25. So uh all right. Okay, so we've got so let's talk about Jan de Mont oh, a little bit here. <laughs> uh I, yeah, it's it's too bad because I feel like this kind of like I know he directed like a, a Tomb Raider movie after this. Yeah, the second Tomb Raider movie. Yeah, and I I I know I had um so okay let's talk okay so we we mentioned Twister and Speed before yeah you know two of his early directing uh his directing films directing films films that he directed and uh what is what works about those movies is like you were saying they're like big and open they take place like with fast moving cars uh i mean at least 50 miles per hour in some cases and i think that there's also the real world aspect of those things where it's just like you know they're they're real people doing you know interesting jobs uh, for sure, but it's still real people um, in extraordinary situations, which I guess you could consider the happening is that, but it's the, haunting? the supernatural. Did, what, did I say something else? You said the happening. Of oh, the happening. I'd be more than happy <laughs> to spend an happening. episode talking about that movie. Oh, woof. No, pass, pass, oh, pass. Have you seen but it before? The... Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, the haunting it's you know it incorporates a supernatural element that i think really throws things and uh you know twister involves an active nature and uh you know speed involves uh somebody with bomb training so like you know there's certainly things that are unfortunately you know real life things whereas real you know yeah, they're real horror, whereas, you know, the haunting is certainly, uh, you know, CGI, pretty extreme. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like we said, the practical effects in those movies really made like made them work. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that you're right. Like, you know, horror is just not Jan de Bont's genre. No, no. I, I mean, and look, not that he can't. It's it's kind of. Like I'm thinking about the whole theory about all right, like his his camera should not be contained, and then you think about movies, other movies that he's done, and you're like, well, okay, Hunt for Red October, but mm-hmm. it's not like it only takes place on one submarine the entire time. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's also a lot of the like external submarine movement in that Die Hard, right. Yes, it takes place in a building, but there is a lot of movement around that building in and around that building. 
So, yeah. and then, I mean, basic instinct, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the car chases. There's the car chases. There's the scenes that are kind of on the, the shoreline. There's just yeah. like really big sprawling moments. Yeah. Those car chases for sure. Um, we certainly, and then the the contrast between those and the moments where you're like inside rooms, whether it's the interrogation rooms, whether it's the room where Michael Douglas and Gene Triplehorn are, you know, getting together, or um, if it's you know the bedroom, like those are like the really high, highly intense situations when things get like closed in, and uh, or the the club where he goes dancing in his like V neck <laughs> sweater or whatever. His American and, Eagle. Uh... Is American T-shirt. Eagle that he got uh, some free movie passes with and saw my super ex girlfriend, and I uh, and Monster House. I saw Monster House too with that. I'm sure that there were plenty of others. <laughs> anyway, at the King of Prussia Mall, maybe that sounds about right. Just saying, sure. Just saying, things are just coming to my memory right now. It's happening, not the happening, not the, <laughs> and it's haunting. <laughs> It's haunting you, and you're. And it's happening. It's baby. happening right now. It happened then. The King of Prussia Mall. Who knows? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. So Dan, what would you do with the haunting? Well, I think that there's always a place for just like a a big like you know kind of do it up old fashioned uh haunted house movie now mm-hmm. I, I was i was thinking about that and thinking about like okay so who i of course i'm going to spend this episode talking about how the director was not the direct, the right director who yeah. would be the right director for it and of course the first person i thought of probably because i've been watching crimson peak on and off on hbo is guillermo del toro and then i thought okay. well guillermo del toro has like his kind of like done this in a more in his more like original way right so i don't know that i would want to see him do it i I mean like going back to people who have just done this type of film well uh you know thinking about uh, peter i thought about peter jackson and then i kind of had like a little like uh, this this is Mm -hmm. the type of movie where i kind of want a less is more vibe uh i'd be interested to see what uh like denis villeneuve uh okay would uh would do with it we're used to his films also being like very broad and very outdoors but i feel Mm -hmm. like he could handle the kind of like he's very good at a slow build tension uh at least thinking about like blade runner 2049 and uh arrival so i could see i could see him doing that i could i could of course see it being like a good jordan peele uh project yeah and and there are, I'm sure, loads of filmmakers out there that I'm not thinking of who, who would do a fine job making this movie. I, I'd be yeah. interested to see what would like who would who would come on as as a writer. Uh, you know, I just I I wonder. Like maybe it's a Jordan Peele doesn't direct it, but like works on the script and produces, right type type deal but like i just think i mean it, it could also be now it has been adapted into a, a play uh or the, the original book was adapted okay. into a play so 
like there's that possibility. I was thinking, I was like, man, just make this a musical. Make it like some big like Phantom of the Opera. Like if you were going to make right. this version of The Haunting and put it on stage. Yeah, I, th- I feel like there's too many elements to it that are just like a bummer. All of the like child labor and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's why know. a musical would be, I think, fitting because at least they'd be singing children. And If it's like super tongue in cheek, maybe, and, uh, you know, designed to be like, I don't know, maybe there's maybe there's a different type of way to to do that. I don't know, because like. When when you think about other movies with child labor, like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, child labor, and you know for some reason like there's something about that where, uh, granted it's a, a highly problematic movie, but you see it in a um, and actually there's a lot of similarities with this. Now that I'm th- thinking about Temple of Doom and. Uh, the haunting well, the whole thing with the stones that lily taylor has to find and if only yeah yeah so anyway um i was thinking that if it had to be remade i wouldn't mind seeing i uh, and and this could go in a, in a couple different directions but something like stop motion animation would be really neat because you could do a lot more with the effects in a really fun way mm. so like Henry Selleck or somebody like that. <laughs> of course, I feel but, like that's the first, the first name that comes. But if you're to going, for, it's exactly, if you're going for like, if you're going for spooky stop motion, like Coraline, like yeah. a Coraline type vibe, yeah, right, oh, absolutely. And then, and then there's the opposite side of that, which is kind of like a uh, Anomalisa style, you know, psychological um, kind of torture movie. That and that style could be really interesting too, where. Uh, you know, and David Thewlis, of course, would be an excellent Dr. Morrow, oh, maybe. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, who's the girl? Who's that girl who's um, the other voice in it? Is it uh, oh, Jennifer Jason Jennifer Lee? J- Jennifer Jason Lee would be good. Yeah. yeah. So she, you know, she could definitely be uh, a Nell. <laughs> yeah. I, so I mean, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Jennifer. Oh, God, she's so good. Um, so good. Yeah, um, and still have Bruce Dern be uh, Mr. Dudley. What? If it ain't broke. And if, <laughs> yeah, if, if uh, yeah, he's totally. still alive. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. G- um, no, but but my like real actual thought is like to uh, to lean into the fact that this is this like 1999 movie that has really gone forgotten and... Uh, a lot of it just has to do with like, it just didn't land like nothing about it landed. I mean, Steven Spielberg allegedly took one look at the final cut and was like, this sucks. Took his like, name off it. <laughs> he took his name off of it. Yeah. And the S in DreamWorks no longer stood for Spielberg for in Spielberg's yeah. SKG. SKG. Yeah. The DreamWorks SKG. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of like leaning into that and doing a mockumentary with the cast and all the filmmakers talking about this movie as if it's the greatest movie ever made. And like people are clamoring for a like making of documentary about it (laughs) and like how this movie changed their lives. Yeah. You could, you would just cast, like get a whole bunch, like cast unknown actors as like the fan club of this movie 
like the really devoted... I'm sure that this movie has its fans though that's the funny thing I mean but are they like is there any type of of fan site <laughs> uh, do fan sites really exist anymore I don't even know I I mean there there must be I I would imagine but I mean like are there any fan accounts like there's so many like Instagram accounts that are like just devoted to random very specific subjects well right you know dan there's a lot of people out there who and I'm are their to bet, fans who are these i'm fans? willing to bet that i'm willing to bet that the haunting is at least one person's favorite movie owen wilson because people have people have favorite movies for all different reasons it's not necessarily because they're amazing movies but you never know yeah yeah no i would just hope like summer of 99 like there were other there were other options you know what the other it does there don't need to be other options it might have just like been the right thing for the right person just at that exact moment that made it their favorite movie it might have been like you know uh a a a first date movie that they went to with their you know now long-term partner or something you know like something like that where it's like it's a special movie for somebody i would be interested to know I, I I don't know that we that that's the audience we're reaching right now, but I would like to know who out there if you, has if you had a first date with somebody to see the haunting, regardless of the outcome of that date, email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. I'm tempted to give my personal phone number right now um, because I want to hear from you. Yeah, or my super ex girlfriend or tree of life. A <laughs> tree of life. Imagine, oh, imagine first going on a first tree, of, tree life. of life, and then, oh. yeah, oh, the the post movie conversation's gonna be. It's my favorite dinosaur movie. Well, that's saying something. <laughs> that 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 is definitely. Oh wow! Not. What if Jan de Bont had directed a like Jurassic Park three? Imagine hmm. if Jan de Bont had directed a, a Jurassic Park movie. Would that have been good? No. You don't think that would have been good? You don't think that, that a Jan de Bon... Like, what if Jan de Bon had done The Lost World instead of Spielberg? Uh, I'm trying to remember anything about The Lost World. Three was with William H. Macy, right? Yes. Okay. Three. I, I haven't seen them all in so long, it's hard to remember. Uh, Lost World was with Vince Vaughn and Vince Vaughn. Julianne mm-hmm. Moore. Julianne Moore. Right, 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 right. Yes. Uh, Actually, I kind of like I guess... I guess I could see how it could have happened with Yonda Bond. It's I just feel like it would have been more fun. Maybe. I mean, if he if if because there's always going to be a chase. There's going to be a right. chase in a That's Jurassic what I'm Park thinking movie. Is like a Jurassic. Your camera is not contained. Far from right. it. So that's, true. that's what I would like right. to see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, Dan, why don't we tell who's everybody gr- who's the girl in in Jurassic Park three? Sorry, I who's feel that like that girl a, that's in Jurassic Park three. I don't know, but that reminds me of the movie that we're talking about on our next oh, episode. Oh, could that be the reason why we keep saying who's that girl? Because the next movie that we're doing for the, the grand finale of Yonuary is a film that he was the cinematographer for. It was released in 1987, also around a lot of hype, also got pretty bad reviews. Uh, And it is Who's That Girl? Starring Madonna and Griffin Dunn. Yeah. 
and Griffin Dunn. Have yeah. we talked about Griffin Dunn on this podcast yet? Uh, we, I mean, has After Hours not ever come up? I, I mean, whatever context. It, maybe it's come up, but we haven't covered that. I, After Hours is maybe my favorite Scorsese. And, oh, wow. Uh, okay. Why? Oh, wow. Well, no, not What's so o- shocking about that. No, there's nothing shocking. I'm just saying like your favorite. I guess I guess like you're not really into mob movies. So I'm not really into like mob movies or like super aggressive, like toxic masculinity movies. And this is one of those movies where it's just like tra- tracking somebody on like the weirdest night of their life. Yeah, that's that's what it's. That's what it is. And I I love it. It's I love weird. It. It's got some great character moments. Uh, you know, Terry Gar's awesome. Like it's oh, it's I mean, a really we solid. Can't, we can't. Cast. I actually do think we've had this conversation because I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, I I'm I'm pretty sure I remember talking about how Catherine O'Hara is is in it as well. Right, Catherine O'Hara yeah. is in it. But yeah, yes. After yes, at some point after after okay. hours will happen. Griffin Dunn, uh, also of My Girl. Uh, oh, yes. He's the yes. teacher. Yes. Yes. And yeah, he's um. He's fantastic. I am a a big fan. You ever seen King of Comedy? You know, I haven't seen it. Okay, uh, I I believe I've always I always think of putting it on. I was like, eh. I'm a I'm a big fan of that one. I mean, I, I'm a I big watch Scorsese fan to be right. to begin with. Um, and of the and I've also seen a lot of the kind of forgotten Scorsese films. Kundun saw that in the theater. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. So and he's got a, actually the only Scorsese movie off the top of my head that I that I really didn't like was Gangs of New York. Mine is the only movie I ever walked out of. Hugo, Do you know who that is Hugo, which I which I'm a big fan of. I walked out. I could not. <laughs> I just couldn't. To each yeah, their own. Yeah, Hugo really shit. was a divisive. Like people either really really liked it or really really did not like it. Was that Asa Butterfield? Yes. Interesting. Ace, Chloe Grace Moretz, Ben Kingsley, Sasha Baron. It's Cohen. funny because like as we're talking about like the cast of it, I, I keep on thinking like how how can I get in a, a who's that girl? But no, we've already we've, we've already, already done I that. know I thought about that too. Uh <laughs> but yeah, so uh, but I'm excited because who's that girl was a was an old like HBO favorite back in it the day. It was on TV all the time. We'll talk about that in the next yeah, episode. Excited about that. So yeah. Uh, email us ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com check out our link tree it's in this episode's description I am excited to get to revisit who's that girl for the first time in a long time it's been a while I have some very vivid memories of it though do you really oh I'm excited yeah uh, yeah uh, well Dan as you are I'm like trying to think of something right now as you are running through the gigantic cavernous hallways of Hill House I wish you a good journey good journey Yeah, you can't.